This is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working with People by Pavestep. The Working with People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. We have Ashley here with us today. How are you, Ashley? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am good. Can't complain. Can't complain. So today we're going to be talking about how to run successful engagement surveys. But before we do that, let's talk about who you are and what you do. Sure. So as you said, my name is Ashley and I own and uh, am the president of Involvey HR. We are a people managed service solution for all small and medium business, whether it's managed service HR support, um, compensation reviews, performance support, leadership. I call it small C coaching because we're not certified coaches, but what we do is mentor leaders every day to become better people leaders. So awesome. Awesome. So Let's start with engagement surveys. Like, what is it? Why is it important? And why is that different from pulse surveys? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of schools that thought this is a hot topic, right? Because everybody wants to know what the employees are thinking and they want to know kind of the deep, dark, dirty secrets of the organization. And so, you know, some of them are gone about very well and very professionally and they're set up, you know, very thoroughly with psychometrics and other ones are thrown together for various reasons. Um, And I wouldn't say that any are malicious. It's just, you don't know what you don't know when you're putting something like that together. And so, you know, typically an engagement survey would be used um, to assess the entire organization on several different topics related to their employment, whether it's relationship with supervisor, total compensation, would you, you know, reapply for this job that you currently have, um, just to get a really good barometer of the health of the organization and the culture. And then when it comes to pulse surveys, those are a little bit shorter. I think they're newer in the marketplace. Um, They can be delivered electronically or in person, what we call state interviews, depending on the size of team. Um, And the pulse survey is really just for bite-sized little questions that give tidbits of information to the executive team or the leadership team on a very specific item. And so, you know, pulse surveys, I would say, are done a little bit more frequently. Some are done daily with some of the new technology that's out there. Some are done quarterly. Um, engagement surveys typically are done annually or every 18 months. So it just depends on what kind of data you're looking to glean from your team. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what type of questions should be included in an engagement survey? You started talking about a little bit with total rewards and things like that. Um, any thoughts there that you want to share, like big categories? Yeah, I mean, we've got, it It depends on what, you know, what's the reason that we're trying to do it. So let's start with the solution and what information we're trying to garner. And then let's work backwards and figure out what questions are going to be um, producing those responses or that data. But then let's also produce questions that aren't leading, right? We want to give the, the employees full carte blanche to say, ooh, here's a question and I truly answer it this way, right? Um, A lot of surveys are also anonymous, so let's keep that in mind in terms of um, it's not a witch hunt as to who had what comment at the end of the survey to try and figure out who said what, Um, and it really should just be looked at objectively. So if we're looking at topics, it's total compensation, it's performance, it's succession planning, training and development. And then I usually add some comment boxes at the end that says, what what feedback do you have for your supervisor? What feedback do you have for the CEO or C-suite team? Um, So that it gives them some freedom to type their comments, responses, constructive criticisms, um, or, you know, bring up some issues that maybe they haven't been able to bring up before. 
the, I think, you know, the, the most poignant example I've got is, is a specific question is I had a leader that was very concerned about bullying in the organization and she was the new CEO coming in and she was very, very blunt and said, we've heard rumors that there is bullying going on in the organization. Do you believe this? Yes or no. And if they hit yes, then the next question was, um, who do you feel this bullying is between supervisors and, and employees, employees and employees or leaders and employees? Um, and it was really interesting having her take that chance of being so bold and asking outright questions because she developed an action plan and it, it worked out really well. Right, right. Yeah. So let's get a little bit more tactical on some of the things that you just mentioned. I think one is around like the anonymous feedback versus like anonymous surveys versus non-anonymous or identify surveys. What are the pros and cons there? Um, I mean, I think it it starts with the mentality of the leadership team, right? We've 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 all encountered leaders that are a little bit um, ego driven or they care too much about who's saying what rather than the data and learning from it. Um, so, you know, it does start with the leadership team and their intent. And so we can build it around that. And that will also help us understand whether anonymous or non-anonymous is, is the way to go. Um, typically, I've seen larger engagement surveys always be anonymous, but the first couple questions will start to isolate some of the trends based on either department or tenure or, you know, location, depending on the size of organization. So if you've got a couple qualifying questions about the demographics of your organization uh, at the beginning, um, I think that's really important. I think the thing that I've learned as a best practice from my individuals that build these professionally is if you've got a work group or an employee base in a department that's four or five or less, then you shouldn't break that out as one of those specific demographic groups. Because mm -hmm. if I say, yes, I'm part of that group and there's only four of us, then there's statistically it cannot be anonymous. Um, and so I think if you say it's anonymous, prove through the survey design that it really is. Right. Um, and the other thing that is important is be clear on, you know, if there is a text box and you type things in, we will take that text verbatim. So if you always say a certain phrase or a certain word or speak or type a certain way and you want to be anonymous, you know, that will lead the employees to make sure that, you know, they, they do that so that they feel protected and safe. Um, I also think engagement surveys should probably be delivered by a third party that's neutral um, because there's always skepticism in the organization if the internal HR or whoever is in charge of the people send out the survey and receive the raw data because they could, you know, go through and figure out who said what. And I think you're really just going to get the best out of the survey results and the data if your team trusts you and if they know that you have good intentions in asking the questions, but also that you've committed to an action plan. I think right. the worst thing an employer can do is say, we want your feedback, we want your input, we want this, and then crickets afterwards, right. um, because that's almost disengaging than not asking in the first place. Right, right. Yeah. That's super, super helpful. I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense to keep it anonymous so that people feel safe about giving their true, honest opinions about how they're feeling and what they see. In terms of another tactical question for you is the number of questions, right? And I think, you know, we'll talk about this in a, in a few questions, but survey fatigue feels like a thing <laughs> that's mm -hmm. happening in, with some folks. What do you see in terms of best practice? You know, I think this is a tough one because I think, you know, too short of a survey and, you know, the feedback might be, well, then why did you ask me the questions too long of a survey, you're going to get survey fatigue and they're just going to start, I call it pencil whipping the answers or hitting neutral, 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 and just to get over it. Right. And I think it's, I think it's important to have that delicate balance. So, 
you know, I think it, it could be part of the design of the survey as to how it flows and how the same question might not be asked regularly, but have interesting questions that go, oh, it's going to cause me to think because then they won't feel like they're on a hamster wheel of questions. I would say that a survey shouldn't take more than about 10 minutes. Um, and however that survey design is made up, that's kind of the time frame. If an employee wants to take 15, 20 minutes because they're writing a lot, that's their prerogative. But I think putting that in the instructions up front, putting that with the facilitator, if it's in a room, you know, this will not take you more than 10 minutes, but we do appreciate your feedback. Um, I think it sets the tone and it gives them an expectation of what they're walking into. Um, I've done some customer service surveys that I've received and it says five minutes and I'm in it for half an hour. And I'm like, there are way too many questions <laughs> here to be 30 minutes. And that's really struggling because I get disengaged and then I get mad at the process, not, you know, invested in giving feedback. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's all in the survey design to be a little bit strategic that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. What about post survey? Right. So you've got all this data right? Yeah. as an organization that ran it. What are some of the metrics or usage? Like, how should they be thinking about using that data that they collect from engagement surveys? What are some like key things that you've seen work well? Yeah, so I think, you know, transparency and open communication from the top down, I think, is a big win in most organizations as long as it's done well. And I would say the same for the results of the survey, right? Obviously, whoever's facilitating and gathering the results and compiling them is going to present it to the C-suite leadership team. Um, that may be at the highest level of transparency, but not breaking that anonymity. Uh, and then the leadership team will say, okay, this is all really good feedback. Some of it might hurt your ego. Some of it might hurt, you know, personally, because you've built something that now, you know, might right. have some concerns, but some of it should be celebrated. And I think all of that should be discussed with the employees that gave the feedback. Um, and I think, you know, employees want the results and um, I've always taken it with a stance of you, you develop your action plan, either as a subsect or as a large leadership team, present it to the staff saying, here's the highlights of what we heard. And here's the action plan that we've developed to, to answer some of your calls. Um, the other piece of that is be kind to yourself as an organization, realize that nothing's going to happen overnight. And some things take 12 months to implement. And so if you can say, employees, you know, these are the chunks of actions that we're going to take in zero to six months that, or these are immediate. This is zero to six months. This is six to 12 months. This is a long-term plan, part of our strap plan. And these ones specifically, they're great suggestions, but they either don't fit our budget. They don't fit our value set. They don't fit where we're going as a company. So thank you, but we won't be moving forward with that suggestion. Um, and I think even acknowledging some of those wacko ones that we get in every survey um, still gives confidence in the employees that, oh, they actually heard me and they gave me a valid business reason as to why right. it's not going to work. Okay. I feel heard. Right. And then that just creates that more cohesive culture of, of full communication and, and that true open door so that they feel like they're part of something rather than just working for a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I, I think it's especially important when you think about like some of the employees that are at burnout, like stage, mm -hmm. right? Like, those could be the last little few buttons that kind of get them out the door, if yeah. you will, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So we talked a little bit about survey fatigue. We talked about like balancing the questions length, the type of questions. What else? Like what else should organizations and HR managers and leaders be thinking about when they're like, hey, are we doing too much? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think doing too much is, is not giving yourself the time and space to actually execute the action plan. And that's why kind of near the beginning, I said, you know, engagement surveys should be every 12 months, but probably every 18 to two years to be realistic. And so if you've got a really good flow of receiving feedback, action plan, receiving feedback, action plan, then you can't accomplish all of the action plan in 12 months. Because when you think about receiving the data, you've probably got it open for three weeks. And then you've probably got a month to six weeks of analyzation going to the leadership team, coming through with the action plan. So you're already a quarter into the year. And if you're doing it again in a year, you've only left yourself three quarters of the year to action plan things. And that's just not realistic when all of us are fully busy with our day-to-day work routines as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so be kind to yourself and, and don't overpromise and underdeliver because that's, again, where you lose that team's right. engagement. Um, so, you know, my best practice would probably be every 18 months to two years, but then do little pulse surveys or do stay interviews or fireside chats as you go in between so that you have those personal touch points and those one-on-one, whether it's cross-departmental or interdepartmental or one-on-one. Um, and, and those can be really valuable, whether short and sweet, whether empathetic and, you know, interview style, conversation style, whatever works for your culture of the team. But I think there's a lot of value in that kind of data and and getting it from multiple different methods, whether an online survey or in person or whatever the things I chatted about. I think that variety will also eliminate that survey fatigue because they'll they'll realize that you are interested in them as employees and as humans mm-hmm. um, and interested in their feedback rather than just receiving something online and sending it back to the nether space and you don't know where it goes, right? Right, right, yeah. right. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. These are all the big questions that I had. I mean, where can the audience find you and your thought leadership, Ashley? Great. So uh, happy to chat with you on LinkedIn. You can find me, Ashley McCartney, on LinkedIn. You can follow our uh, organization, Involvy HR. And we've also got our website, involvy.ca. Um, and we're happy to have conversations, happy to support, and just happy to have really good thought leadership conversations with people if they've got concepts or ideas and and chat through how we can change the face of HR from this very traditional method to these innovative concepts that are more people focused and adapting to our new reality of remote work and hybrid work and flexibility. So awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening to working with people by PaveStep. Feel free to check out other episodes on pavestep.com slash podcast. Ashley, thank you. Thank you so much. Hello, this is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working with People by PaveStep. The Working with People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent.